0: But this is the day that the Lord has made. We will and be glad in it. Be glad in it. His mercy is more. Thank you, worship team, for that song. His mercy is more. It's going to prepare us, I believe, for what God has in store for us this morning as we join together in Luke. Anybody know why I said Luke? <laughs> we spent a whole year in Luke, didn't we? Where are we? Jonah, good, you're tracking already, that's awesome. Jonah chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning, and that song, His Mercy, is more this idea of this word. Do I need to stay here? Repentance, repent. What does that mean And when we sing things like mercy and grace and God's love? How does that connect to repentance? And what exactly is God asking for? What exactly is he looking for when he speaks to us about repentance? That's where we're going to go this morning as we move through Luke chapter 3. Before we, we get that or to kind of set the table, I want to orient us to where we are, um, actually where we are right now. We're in the third Sunday of January, 2021. 20, 21. I don't know, but am I the only one? It just feels like time is just has this different feel to it, the last... You're, I'm the only one, brother. Thank you. I love, I love you too. Just even how things feel, and so the days. Of the, I don't know about anybody else, but my day, my days typically have a feel to them. Sunday is a different feel than Wednesday or Friday, and so I can kind of tell you where I'm at in the week by how the day feels. And so much of that has been changed or challenged for me. But we're in the third week of January 2021, 20, and. When we start a new year, it's one of those moments where we tend to just stop and take an assessment of where we're at, where we've come, and maybe look ahead where we're going. Yes? We call it New Year's resolutions. We set goals. We, we put a plan together. We set smart goals, Matt, right? For the, the year that are measurable. I don't forget what smart is or what's the S. Specific, Specific measurable, attainable. Is that right? Results, oh, results, I said Matt's voice sounded really funny there. He was like, (laughs) had helium or something. Results oriented, thank you. And what's the T? Timely. So this is the time of year when we tend to do that. We tend to look at where we've been and where we're going. And so one of the things that we like to do as a church is we do that collectively as the body of Christ, this local body. And so we look back and we've done some of that and we look ahead. We've done some of that. And I want to do a little bit more of that this morning as we look at Jonah chapter 3. In John chapter 13, a familiar verse to many of us, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he said, I give you a new command. Love one another. Now, the command to love one another is not the new part, is it? Deuteronomy tells us, right? To love God with all that we are, and then Leviticus said, to love your neighbor. Jesus would affirm that. Love, loving others is not a new thing to Jesus and his disciples. Would you agree? But there is something new to this command i give you a new command love one another just as i have loved you see that part's new because now god had lived on this earth jesus had walked the earth and he had revealed to to creation the father who god is and he did it with his teaching with his miracles with his life with his words with his interaction are you not intrigued when you read the gospel, how Jesus interacted with people? Come on. It's hard for me to read that. Not I have people like that in my life. That person that he interacted with or that person or that group of people, there's people like that today, yes? Every character in the, in the gospels, we can find people in that same setting, in that same mindset today. And then I look at Jesus and I watch, wow, look how he responded in that moment. And then I have to look in the mirror and go, uh, that's not how I responded. He has shown us, he'd shown his disciples intimately something that had never been seen before, what love really looked like, what love is. He says, as I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, if you do this, all people will know that you're my disciples. Now that's a really loaded statement. There's so much there, what he, and they probably understood it initially more than we do when we hear it. He's basically saying a disciple is someone who imitates, follows, mimics a master. Even the idea of master is a little foreign to us and offensive sometimes. Somebody that has the authority in life to tell us how to live, how not to live, what to be, not to be, and we submit to that authority and we say we're going to follow you in every way. We're going to speak your words. We're going to imitate your actions, your attitude. You remember the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus addressing that crowd? And he, he made it very clear. I'm not just talking about the external. He's not saying I want you to dress like me. He really talked about the inner person or he talked about the inside out, didn't he? Change me from the inside out. Attitudes, heart attitudes and values and priorities. He says, this is what it means to follow me, to imitate me, to be my disciple. He said to his disciples, this is how people will know that it's more than just a claim. I'm a Christian. I go to church. I go to Crossroads Church. This is how people will know that that's more than just a claim that you make to people. They will know you're my disciples if you love each other the way that I love you. People are going to look at that and go, no, Kurt, what is Kurt? He's a disciple of Jesus. how do you know that? Because he loves people the way Jesus loves people. You with me? It's Jesus speaking. He says, this is how people will know that you really are my disciples if you love each other the way that I have loved you. 1 John 4, 9, one of those disciples would write later in, later in his, one of his letters, we love because he first loved us. So as we start this new year, you're going to hear this over and over because this needs to just penetrate not just our heads but our hearts. This idea of loving first before we do anything to love first. You know, I'll tell you how God's working in my life already along these lines. I have grandkids and they come over on Tuesdays and we have a great time. But I can tell you about mid-afternoon that I'm just a little bit... Okay. Okay. I'm texting my 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 children. Hey, so when you when you coming to get the kids today? You're awesome kids, and my grandkids are great. It's it's not the grandkids; they're grandkids. They're they're the age appropriate to their various ages. It's Papa, it's Papa that hold on. You know, I we do date night on Tuesday, and at that same time that I'm thinking those things, I start thinking, okay, we're going out to dinner tonight, or we're gonna you know we're having a date. I just Becky and I and oh, What God's doing in my life is he is showing me in that relationship with my grandkids that I love them the way God has loved me. If I want to know how to love them, I look to Jesus. And in those moments where I'm kind of like, you know what, I'm kind of tired of loving you today. (laughs) You know, we do sleepovers. You know what sleepovers are? And about 1030 at night, why aren't these kids in bed? You know, my, my whole routine tonight's been messed up. And I don't care what time they go to bed, they still wake up at the same time. You know, a half an hour before the crack of dawn. They're still, I don't, it doesn't, they go to bed at 1 o'clock and they wake up at 6, 6 a.m. still. We love because he first loved us. I have this privilege of being in my, children, my grandchildren's life so that I can show them the love of Jesus in the way that he has loved me. And I find myself using this phrase, I'm about to react to something. I'll just say this. Some of you already know this. A jenga block got thrown at my big screen TV two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, I was right. It's really fun watching football because there's about six inches here and about four inches here that goes across too. That whatever play happens in there, like the like the catch or whatever, I have no idea what happened. Did he catch it? Did he drop it? Did he score? I don't know because it's behind that six inches. I can't see anymore. When that happened, this came to mind. Okay, what are you gonna do, Papa? And all the grandkids were there watching. What's Papa going to do? And what came into my head, am I going to love first? Are there going to be consequences? Yeah. My, my, the, the, the person, the, the, the defendant <laughs> felt horrible. And he, he had $50 saved up. And he says, Papa, you can have my $50. And then I'll work the rest of my life to pay off the rest of it. So I said, yes, you will. <laughs> so No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But they're all watching. That's what I'm talking about, the love first moment. What's, what's the first thing that comes out of my mouth? What's the first body language they experience? What's my, what, are, what, what are my choices? What are the consequences going to be? And as we move through this year, our focus is going to be on what does it look like to love first? There's words that need to be spoken in moments, right? There's actions that need to be taken. There's, there's responses that need to, to, to happen. We need to things we need to exhort we need to encourage we need to be the light that christ is expect he's handed to us to be but i want to stop and say okay what does love look like what does it mean to love first it becomes a filter through which the holy spirit then can say say this but don't say that do this but don't do that so how do i know what this looks like jesus says it's because i came and showed you what love looks like And we love, the way we love, is because we have seen it, experienced it first from Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that? Without Jesus, we don't know what love looks like. Can we say amen to that? We're going to make it up, we're going to fill in the blank. We might do really well, we'll do our best. Sometimes not even that, but we don't know what love is apart from Jesus Christ, according to Him. Matthew chapter 28. This verse is familiar to anyone that's been a part of this particular local body because we, we have landed here in taking serious His commission, what's it's called the commission, the Great Commission, His command, His instruction to go and make disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I want you to teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you and then remember this, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age, even to the end of your days on this planet, even to the end of God's plans for his creation. And from that, we, we ask this question. So we first ask the question, why are we here? Let's call these cross, crossroads questions, okay? Maybe that'll help us remember these. We've had three, this year we're going to have four, and I'll give you number four next week. But we've been asking why, why are we here? Make it personal. Why am I here? Why is Kurt Pearson breathing? Why do I have life? And I believe the message is clear from the Word of God. As a follower of Jesus, as a disciple who's going to love others as Christ has loved me, my why is that I'm here to make disciples. You see, when he says, this is how all people will know you're my disciples if you love each other, that's connected to his command to go and make disciples. In fact, I think I can say this with confidence, that he's saying, that's where you start. Sorry, did I yell? I shouted. That's where you start. Loving one another the way Christ has loved you. Because that's going to show people that you really are a disciple. And what does a disciple do? A disciple makes disciples. You see, the, the rabbi, the master, his job is not to make disciples. He goes around, He teaches. He, he, in Jesus' case, as, as God in human form, He did miracles. He, he had a specific revelation that He gave us of who the Father is and what the kingdom of God looked like. But do you remember Jesus would often periodically look at the crowd and He would say something that would result in many of the crowd doing what? Walking away, leaving. If you don't eat My flesh and drink My blood, you have no part of Me. What in the world? <laughs> And people said, this is too hard. This is nuts. And they walked away. Whose job is it to make disciples? Disciples. If I have decided, if I have committed to follow Jesus, now my task is to tell other people, or as Jesus said it, go. Go and make disciples of all nations. baptizing them in the name the Father and Son of the Holy Spirit. You need to engage people. You need to go. Get off your white plastic chair in this beautiful courtyard and in a little bit, go make disciples. And you need to baptize the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You need to empower people with an identity in Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be a Christian, a child of God, to come to faith? According to Jesus, there's an aspect relating to the Father, there's an aspect relating to the Son, and there's an aspect relating to the Holy Spirit. In other words, I am a child of God. I am a son of the Father. I've been adopted into His family, haven't I? Some of you go, well, I don't know you, so I can't say that you have. But some of you know me. By faith, I've come into that family. I've been adopted into his family. I'm, I'm his. I'm a disciple maker. My relationship to the son is he said, come follow me. Now go and make disciples. That's my purpose. That's my why. And I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moves in and he lives inside of me. Believe it or not, he's still working to completely reveal God in me. I'm still a work in progress. But isn't the Bible clear that the Holy Spirit has moved in, so the power from within is there for me to grow and to change, to fulfill my why? Why am I here to make disciples? Question number two is how do I do that? We engage, we empower, we equip and encourage. This morning we're going to look at question number three. And I believe it's found here in Jonah chapter three. We come to Jonah chapter three, verse one. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Now I pause there because some of you need to stop for a second and just recognize what's happening in Jonah's life. We know, we know that Jonah was a prophet of God. He was used by God. God gave him a, a command, instruction, an assignment to go to Nineveh and tell the Ninevites about God. And what did he do? He went to, he went to great extremes to get away from obeying God. And then he got swallowed by a fish and he prayed in the fish. And the, the fish, and I'm not talking in the fish voice. I know somebody said they liked that last week. I'm not doing that ever again in my life. He gets vomited up on land and he's there, sitting there. When we look at this scientifically, it's possible that he had no hair left. The stomach acid, whatever is in the fish's stomach, had a, a physical effect on him. Very likely he's a strange looking dude. And he's sitting there. And the word of the Lord came to him. What? A what? What? I can't hear you. A second time. What is that? It's grace. It's the grace. It's the loving kindness. In the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, it's the it hesed. It's the loving kindness of God. It's not in any way connected to Jonah's worthiness. It's directly connected to What? God's character, who he is. And God comes to that man sitting there on the shore and dripping with whatever. And he says, I want you to go, like I said before, to Nineveh. And notice what God says. The grace of God continues to be revealed. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim, literally call to it, the message I give you. Now, Bible scholars struggle with this phrase, and I've and I got to be honest, I'm not sure why, because when you just look at the Hebrew, it, it, and I guess I understand why, because it's, it's a little challenging for us, but the great city of Nineveh is this immense city of Elohim. You recognize that word? It's a, it's a, and I say this with quotes so you don't misunderstand, it's a generic term or a common term for God, or God-like, or having to do with God. Now, you're going to see this phrase a couple of times. We see it in Jonah. God is communicating to Jonah. Here's my grace. Go back a second time. But let me remind you this city of this, there are some scholars that believe that at this time, Nineveh was the largest population, by population, city on the planet. It was the capital of Assyria. Sennacherib, the king of, of the Assyrians, it's a massive city. We have, we, we have the ruins. And so sometimes that's where we want to go. A great city, three days. We'll read it in a minute. It's just big. It seems clear to me that God is communicating to Jonah, this city is great. This city is significant. This group of people are important to me. Now, why is that a big why does that matter? It's because Jonah, as a Jewish person, a prophet of, of Jehovah, is saying, No, 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 no. That Jerusalem. Are you with me? Jerusalem is the city with God's name on it. These are people that don't believe in Jehovah or Yahweh. These are people that have, are enemies of God's people. Don't we do that in various forms today still, like Jonah, if we're honest? It may not be a city. It might be a city. It might be a city that's known by certain behavior or lifestyle, or it might be a, a group of people that are known that we, we just attach to them a, a behavior. Or an attitude, it might be appearance. We do it by appearance. And God shows grace in this moment to Jonah by calling him a second time and reminding him that this group of people, that Jonah, I know you don't love and I know you ran away as hard as you could because you didn't want them to know me and experience my grace. But I'm telling you, Jonah, these people matter to me. This city is important to me. This is a great city. I want you to go there and proclaim. I want you to literally call out to it the message I give to you. And look what it says in your Bible at the beginning of verse 3. What do you see there? Jonah, he what? He arose. He got up. Now why is that significant? Because let's just be be real. When we talk about obeying God, we, we spend so much energy on trying to figure that out in here and here. What does it look like for me to you know, obey God? And let, Here's how we say it in Christianity. I'll pray about it. Hey, are you, are you making the right decision? Are you treating that person correctly? Are, are you, are you um, using your finances in a way that honor God? Well, you know, I, I, I hear you, and I, I know the Bible says this, but I'll, I'll pray about it. I'll pray about it. And here God tells Jonah, I want you to get up and go to this city, and what does Jonah do? He, you said it, he gets up and He goes. Obedience is not easy, but it's not complex if we understand who God is in our relationship to him. If he's my master and I'm his prophet, his servant, his disciple, and Jesus says, Peter, get out of the boat and walk on the water. Well, you know, Jesus, <laughs> you know, have you looked around? Have you seen the storm? Hey, guys, what do you think? Let me ask your fellow disciples. What did Peter do? He got out of the boat. And that's the part I want you to latch on to. He, he stepped over the side of the boat. Jonah got up. He arose. Some translations translate this word in English, obeyed. He obeyed the word of the Lord. And he went. He got up and he went. Here's, let me give you the third question. Who? Why am I here? How do I do that? Number three is who is my responsibility? Who is my responsibility? We have a responsibility as a church body. We're here in Carmichael. This is where we are, Northern California 2021 in Carmichael. We have a responsibility to this neighborhood, to be light, to be salted, to this community. But that is, that is supported. That's only going to happen if we individually ask the question okay, what about Kurt? Who am I responsible for? Because I have neighbors, I have coworkers. Pray for me. We're really trying to reach out to my coworkers. get it okay some of you you'll get there we'll hear your laughter in about five minutes i have coworkers. i have i have i have a family i have grandkids i have people places where i should. you with me who who do i have a responsibility to who is god asking me to love isn't that's what te- it is everybody and that's a good answer dennis but it'll never happen if we don't move away from that and make it specific because I can't love, I mean, I can love everybody theoretically, but I, can only, I, I, have, a, I have a capacity as a physical person in, a, in a, a realm, a scope that He's placed me, just as you, with your business. He's placed you in that scope. What does it look like to li- love people in that moment? What does it look like for me to live in the, in, the, in the travels, in the circles that I'm in? And that's what Matthew 28, literally in the Greek, it says, as you're going, as you live your life. So who is that to me? Who was it to Jonah? The Nineveh. It was the Ninevites. Now don't miss it. We would label them as what? As heathen, right? Worshippers of, of false gods, of idols. Living, living lives that were completely given over to, to what we would say vice or pleasures of self. And God comes to Jonah and says, Jonah, I'm going to answer that question. Okay, God, why am I here? I'm a prophet of God. You want me to go? Okay. How do I do that? Get up and go. You're over here where you're not supposed to be. I got the fish swallow you. He spit you out. Now you're on the shore. Wherever that's at, the edge of the Mediterranean, get up and travel those 500 miles over to Nineveh. It was clear, wasn't it? God spoke to him and said, this is who I want you to love and this is what it looks like. You go there and you call out and you make my, me, God, known to them. Should we be asking that same question? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest, strongly suggest that Yes. Who is my responsibility? Who has God placed in my life? Who is God calling me to love? Jonah chapter 3, back there with me please, into verse 3. Here's this phrase again. Nineveh was a very important city, a great city to God, to Elohim. And a visit required three days. Now some believe the, the, the greatness had to do with size, but particularly that there were so many, it was, it was, it was probably four cities in that area that were kind of, kind of like, you know, Sacramento, but you never know when you're leaving Sacramento and then you hit what? Carmichael, and then at some point you hit Fair Oaks. Or, you know what I mean? We're just, This area, this valley, if you will, that its size was connected to how many temples and places of worship there was for people to go and perform their acts of worship to these various gods. It was a very significant city uh, culturally. It was a very significant city um, politically, world power-wise, because of the Assyrian Empire. Sorry, blank there. Trying to think of what the word was. The Assyrian Empire that had conquered all these people, this was the seat of government. And it required three days to explore it, to go through it, potentially. On the first day, Jonah started. He started walking into the city. And you see what your Bible says? He proclaimed, the word for call out. He called out to the people of Nineveh this message. And you're going to wish that your pastor was Jonah because here's his message. You ready? See it? Look at your Bible. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Let's close in prayer. 40 more days and judgment is coming. You got 40 days to repent. You got 40 days to change your ways. 40 days and God is going to reveal Himself to you through His judgment of this city. Now, you're really going to wish that Jonah was your pastor or one of your teaching pastors because. Look at the response to his message. The Ninevites believed God. They believed this message was from God and they believed that it had credibility and that in 40 days God was going to judge them and they better do something. They believed it. And they declared a fast. Here's their, their response. We're all going to stop eating and drinking, all of them, from the greatest to the least. We're going to take off our normal clothes and we're going to put on sackcloth. We're going to put on... Um, I used to say gunny sack, but nobody knows what that is, do we? What's a... Burlap, thank you. They're just gonna, we're going to put on rough, sewn-together sacks. We're going to put on garbage bags. We're going to take black garbage bags, cut a hole and two arms, and we're going to put those on everybody. We're just going to, oh, we're, gonna, we're not going to put on perfume. We're not going to wash our hair. We're not going to do any hygiene. What's going to happen? Every way we, where we turn, this culture, their culture, all we're going to see is people fasting and mourning and dressed in these terrible clothes. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, as of course it would, would, he rose from his throne. Interesting, same Hebrew phrase as Jonah, getting up and going. He arose from his throne, he responds to what he hears. He takes off his own royal garments, which were probably nicer than everybody else's. And he covers himself with sackcloth. And he sits down in the dust. And then he calls his scribes and he says, I I need to make a statement. He issued a proclamation. It's a law. When the king of Nineveh issued a, a proclamation, it wasn't a great suggestion, it was the law. He issued a proclamation to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let man and beast, animals, be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? But maybe God will relent In the Hebrew, this word has the idea of repentance. Don't miss this. God associates Himself with this idea of turning, relenting, repenting, and with compassion He will change the direction He was going to go at the end of 40 days. And because of His compassion, He will turn from that anger, His fierce anger, His righteous anger, and we won't perish. What is going on? They're repenting. It's something that I think in 2020, Westerners, we, and Christians particularly, we struggle with this on purpose, by choice, or maybe ignorance. But we have a hard time with the concept of repentance. Why is that? Well, let me, let me just make some, share some thoughts here. What's, let me break down repentance. And you might want to write these down if you're a note-taker. Number one, they believed God's message. That's the beginning of repentance. They believed God's message. What does that mean? It means that they believed this message, 40 days in judgment is coming, that it was coming from God. And they had an obligation to this God to obey him, to respond to it. It had weight because it was coming from God. If I went to down, down well, if I went out to the street corner here and I just had a big sign and I said repent, 40 days, judgment is coming. I know what you all would do. I know what the news would do. I know what Christians would do. We've seen it, right? You love me, you'd call, you'd get like a 5150, I think it's called, you'd have me committed, you know, and you'd pray for me. Because you would not believe that that was from God, would you? We would struggle with that. Maybe that's a better way to say it. Are you sure, Kurt? Are you sure you heard from God? When we read it in the Word of God, do we not struggle sometimes? Is that real As a Christian, of course, yes, that's okay, that's what God says. I'll pray about it. Because I'm not, really forgive my enemies, love the least, lay down my life for my friends, love my wife like Jesus loved the church. Hold on, Jesus died! You're telling me to die? Yes. Whatever it takes to love her. Oh boy, sounds good on paper. In fact, I probably have a plaque in my house. It's in my Bible, it's highlighted. But do I really believe it's from God? repentance will never happen in our hearts if we don't first believe God. Believe that it is God who is saying, this direction you're going is destructive and it's harmful. And I made you. I created you. I put you on this earth. And I love you. Go this direction. If you go that direction, there's going to be judgment. If you go this direction, there's going to be grace, mercy, the loving kindness of God. You with me? And as a culture and as individuals, like, eh, yeah, we minimize God's word that comes to us and says the direction you're going, the way you're living as a, as a society, as individuals, as Christians, you're going the wrong way. To repent means we believe God's message. Number two, they humbled themselves before God. Now, we may not do it the same way. I'm not suggesting that we all go buy white sheets, wear those to church next week, put those over your clothes. Don't shower next Sunday. Don't use deodorant. Don't do that. Just, in fact, all week. Just don't do any hygiene all week and just show up next Sunday and we'll just come together and we will... Don't do that, okay? I know and those watching at home. Not what we're going to do. Because we do it differently. But do you see it's an outward expression. It's the, it's, the, it's the consequence of what's happening inside. Their humility before God. They stopped eating. They stopped dressing. They stopped doing what they normally do. If it was today, they, they, they wouldn't go to the movies, and they wouldn't go to baseball games. Kind of sounds like something, doesn't it? They would stop doing the normal things. They would just focus on, God, we're sorry, and we're trying to express to you our, our, our sorrow. They put their lives on hold from the greatest to the least. They humbled themselves before God. I love that we're told the king, it's significant that we're told the king took off his royal garments. Those ro- everything that he took off spoke of his authority. Do you get that? The ring on his finger, the robe, the crown. We get that, right? We understand the crown. No? You don't watch PBS or any of the, those kind of shows from England? You with me? You awake? Is it warm? It's warm, huh? Do we need to jump up and do calisthenics? Okay, we won't do that. That would be an outward expression of humility. Everything he wore were were testimonies to his authority. He was the king of Assyria, the greatest nation empire on the planet at the time. Nobody had stood up to them so far. He took it all off. He laid it all down and he put on the sackcloth. They humbled themselves before God. Number three, they cried out to God for mercy They cried out to God for mercy. The king said, let's call urgently on God. All of us just cry. I don't know what to say. I don't even know his name. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. Maybe Jonah told them it was Yahweh. It was Jehovah. I don't know. But the God that Jonah represented that came with the message that said we got 40 days prompted the people, the king on down to say we need to call on God urgently. We need to cry out to him. Why? Because right now we got judgment coming and we want to experience grace and mercy. God they cried out to God for mercy and finally number four they turned away from their sin they turned away from their sin they repented if you're here this morning if you're watching online and you are a child of God you have put your faith in Jesus Christ I challenge you to grab on to this word repent because we have a history as Christians of looking at the world and crying out for their repentance and failing to look in here and in here and in here and, in here and say, we need to repent. What does that mean? It means we, we do these things. We humble ourselves before God. Church, I'm, I'm talking to Christians this, right now. The church. We have a spiritual arrogance problem. We think we're better than other people. And the the reason we think we're better than other people is because of everything that God has revealed and given. Not because of us. It's foolishness. And it hinders God. It gets in the way of what God wants to do in His people and through His people. Just as it did in Jonah. It will have the same impact on us. We need to humble ourselves before God. We need to cry out to Him and we need to turn away from our sin. One of the things that we've gotten really good at is secret sin. You with me when I say that? The things that, we, we, that go on in here and in here and we kind of keep, or maybe in our home, or maybe on our computer, or on our phone, or in our thoughts, and it can be anger, it can be lust, it can be pride, it can take the form of, of gossip slash prayer requests can take a lot of different forms, but we're really good. See, we can't, you didn't come in this morning with sackcloth and I'm a sinner and I, I struggled with, with sin this week and God, I cried out to God and I'm crying out now. Forgive me and I want your grace and your mercy and I know that that's what you have for me and I just want everybody to know this morning that I, I struggled with this and I'm called. When was the last time that happened at a church service on Sunday morning? That we even showed up. Sorry, Don, I've got to stay up here. That we got we, we we come physically looking like we're broken before God. No, we we put on our best. That's fine. But not if it's intended to hide what we need to turn from. You with me? Do you love me? More importantly, do you love God? Because it's God that's saying, humble yourself before him, cry out to him. And he'll we already know his response. But he says, You need to turn from your sin. Do you remember the woman that was brought in adultery? I'm off the tracks, I'm sorry. The woman who was caught in adultery. Do you remember that? And they meant to use her. They didn't care about her. They weren't coming to see her life changed. They shoved her at the feet of Jesus and they recounted, you know, made public her sin. Jesus didn't deny her sin. He didn't argue with them. What did He do? He protected her. Didn't He? Come on now. You with me? Just give me a few more minutes and I'm wrapping up. He loved her. He protected her. And do you remember the last words he said to her? Go, get up, rise up, and turn from your sin. It's repentance. It's repentance. My time is up, so I'm not gonna I'm just gonna give if those of you that want this, Jesus, how do we how do we know this is really about repentance? Because Jesus tells us it is. In Matthew chapter twelve, if you go there, let me give you the reference and I'll move on. But Matthew chapter twelve, verses thirty eight to forty one. More than once Jesus spoke about the sign of Jonah and what Jonah was all about. But in Matthew 12, he connects it to repentance. He says the people of Nineveh repented. So when I go through those four points that we just went through, how do I know that's repentance? Because Jesus said that's repentance. What the Ninevites did is repentance. And he's speaking to the people of Israel when he says it. In Matthew 11, the chapter before, he uses the city of Sodom and Tyre and Sidon. He said, if I had done the miracles in in Sodom that I've done here in Capernaum, they would have all what? Take a guess. Repented. In fact, he says the people of Nineveh are going to stand in the judgment day and they're going to say, we repented. How come you didn't? The people in, in Sodom, if they had seen what Jesus did in Capernaum, he says they would also have repented and be standing there saying, what's up with you? What's up with you people? How come you, didn't, how come you didn't believe the message was from God? How come you didn't humble yourself before Him? How come you didn't cry out to Him for mercy? And how come you didn't turn from your sin? You with me? That's Jesus. I want to invite the worship team to come. Verse 10 of chapter 3. When God saw what they did and how they, you see it, how they turned from their evil ways, what did God do? He had compassion. He relented. He literally repented. He turned a different direction. Do you see what's? Do you? See? This is a. This is a. This is a trip. This is a big thing for me in my brain, my finite brain. God responds. God, Almighty God, responds to my repentance. Is not a trip for you? Do we even use the word trip anymore? I'm sorry. I was a teenager in the 70s, born in the 60s, so sorry. <laughs> totally groovy, but I get it. <laughs> God responds to our repentance. He turned away from his wrath. I said it like this. This blows my mind. God answered the prayer of the Ninevites. Of who God said were wicked, ungodly people. And when they cried out to him, he responded to their prayers. Who is God asking me to love? That's our question this morning. Who is God asking me to love? Let me say it this way. If you can identify with Jonah, if you will just just do this with me. Identify with Jonah, learn from him, and ask that question, who have I failed to love? Who have I run in the opposite direction? God's made it clear to me, this person, this neighbor, this family, this group of people, that I have just had... uh, and I know God's called me to love them and I have run the other direction. We love because He first loved us. Amen? You with me? Are we together? We love because He first loved us. So I know how, you say, well, ah, how do I love these people? We love because He first loved us. This is how we have come. First John 3. I want to invite you to join me at the Lord's table. We call it communion because it's an intimate moment between an individual created being and their Savior, Jesus Christ. He's asked us to do this. How do I know what love looks like? This is how we've come to know love. This is how I know what love really is. He laid down His life for who? Us. So that night when He took that that bread and He said, this bread is my body which is broken for you. I'm going to lay down my life for you. This is what love is." And he says, "Remember." So as his disciple, if you're a disciple of Jesus, I invite you to respond to his invitation to take the bread and eat and remember what love looks like. That same night with the cup, he took that cup of redemption in that Passover meal He says, you need to do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, what are we remembering? He had just washed their feet. He had just served them and now he's about to go to the cross. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Remember what love looks like.